Hello and welcome to episode 43 of The Witcher chapter by chapter book review where I'll go through a summary of what happened in the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today we're going over chapter 8 from The Tower of Swallows. Alrighty, well I'm gonna get into the recap but it's... <laughs> I've got some things I gotta say about it first because I've been telling you guys in previous episodes that I want to, instead of recapping the previous chapter, I want to recap what happened with the character the last time we saw them, the character that we are going to be discussing today, the, the character that this chapter mainly follows, or characters. Uh, recently, it's been just the same thing like we've been following Geralt chapter to chapter for what I guess three chapters I could be wrong about that I'm getting them all twisted in my head now <laughs> but this chapter is the first time since I've wanted to switch this up that we are following a character that we haven't seen in a while that we didn't see in the last episode the thing is it's a character that's not involved in the story that often. So I don't want to completely omit what happened in the last chapter. So what I did is I wrote a recap of last episode. And I also wrote a recap of where we saw the character that we're going to be talking about today, who was in the, the basically the main character of this chapter, chapter eight. So without further ado, I'll give you those recaps and then we'll go into the summary and then we'll go into the discussion of the chapter. All right, well, Geralt and the company finally make it to the Druids, but the head Druid, the Fulminica, demands Geralt to enter a cave where he meets an elven sage called Avalok, who tells Geralt many things like how he will be reunited with Ciri, but only to lose her again immediately. The group is invited to Beauclair Castle in Tucson after a knight notices Dandelion, the Duchess of Tucson's former lover. Before they go to the castle, Milva, Geralt, and Angolem find Shiru and Nightingale again, but they're captured and burned alive by the druids while Shiru still possesses Geralt's Witcher medallion. Alright, so that was the last chapter, and now I'm going to go into the recap of where we left off with the character. Uh, I'm like trying to not say it even though we're about to talk about it for a while so <laughs> here's that recap. You know where I'm going with this. The chapter we're reviewing today mainly follows Redania's head spy Dijkstra. It's been a while since we last saw him. Last time we saw Dijkstra he had just recovered from the broken ankle Geralt gave him on Thanad. Also he located one of Vilgefortz's abandoned hideouts and learned from evidence there just how cruel and vile Vilgefortz really is. Alrighty, so now you know. This is about Dijkstra, if you didn't already know, but I think I think most of you have read these books, so we're all on the same page. But if you haven't, then you know what, uh, before going into the summary, you know who we're going to be talking about a lot. But the summary very short. I always feel so accomplished when I can make these summaries short. I don't know why I just, I don't like sitting there just reading directly off of a screen for too long. I mean, I know it's fine for a little bit, but when my summaries are really long, I don't know, it's just a lot of pressure because I feel like it, it kind of gives me flashbacks to being in school. I don't know if any of you guys had that same thing, probably a lot, at least in American schools, I think this was common, but we had to 
often in classes, we would have to read out loud. Like we were usually just sitting at our desks, but still like we would be reading something for the class, like a book or whatever, or something out of a textbook, I guess it could have been too, but it was, I think it was usually like a regular novel and they would, um, pass it off to different students. And if it was your turn, you had to just sit there and read out loud. And when you're a kid, especially me, cause back then I was not a reader. I was not a reader as a kid, like until maybe about like 10th or 11th grade. But I remember in like elementary school and middle school, I hated that. So <laughs> it's kind of just gives me flashbacks to those days, like reading out loud, like for people. And yeah, you know, once I get past the summary and then I get into the discussion and the notes, I feel more comfortable because it's a discussion. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I just feel like there's pressure or something, but yeah, I made the summary nice and short and the discussion is, well, it's not really that short. I'm, this is definitely going to be a quicker discussion today and you'll see why I'll, I'll explain when we get there, but yeah, this, this chapter, hmm, we'll talk about it. <laughs> okay. Here's the summary. Dijkstra travels to Kovir to ask King Esterad Tyson to lend Redania money for a better army that they can use in the war against Nilfgaard. Because Kovir is neutral, but Esterad Tyson doesn't want Nilfgaard victorious, he finds a way to have Novigrad supply the loan. Meanwhile, the sorceress Shayla de Tankerville is secretly working with King Esterad's wife, Zulika, to manipulate the king into considering Ciri as a wife for their son, Tankred, and to get Tankred to start behaving more appropriately. Cantarella, Vatir de Rudeau's mistress, continues to spy for Asira Var Anahid. All right. I think it would be inadvisable to start out the discussion the way I'm about to start it out. But for the sake of being totally transparent with you guys, because I would want the same, I'm going to say this. This is my least favorite chapter of the entire series. I've talked a little bit about um, some of the chapters at the beginning of this book and how I was not looking forward to talking about them. And it wasn't because the chapters were bad. It was because they were violent and there's just a lot of disturbing content. This isn't like that. It's just boring. It is an extremely boring chapter. And if you like it, I mean, I'm not trying to bash something that you like, but I do think that a lot of the Witcher book readers would agree with me on this. And if you don't, that's totally fine. I, like I said, I, I don't want to bash something that somebody likes. I know that that's not a very nice thing to do, but to give my honest opinion, <laughs> I don't like it. I think a lot of people don't like this chapter. It, we'll talk about the specifics, but I think I think a lot of people feel this way. I was actually talking to um, somebody in my Twitch chat the other day about this chapter, and it's just, yeah, we agreed it was boring. And I think I've even seen some discussion online uh, about people expressing how boring this was. But I'm not skipping any chapters in this podcast series. I'm going to go through all of them, and I'm going to do my best to make this discussion more entertaining than the chapter, less boring than the chapter. But I don't know how successful I'm going to be in that attempt, but I'm going to try. So <laughs> uh, keep an open mind, I guess. We'll see how this goes. But I think, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't want to be overly critical, but I think the fact that I've been kind of drawing out 
my thoughts on how boring it is, is making it sound more critical than I really mean for it to sound. <laughs> All right, let's start the discussion. So the chapter starts out with Dijkstra on his way to the capital of Kovir, and he begins to recall the last time Rodania, or, or officials from Rodania needed to go to Kovir to basically grovel. And then this triggers a long discussion, not like a physical discussion between characters in the chapter, like a like a, the, the book, like a narration discussion, if you like, if you know what I mean. Uh, but it starts this long explanation about the relations between Redania and Kovir. So we get this very long history. So this is how that goes. Kovir and Povis, Povis is a country located really close to Kovir. They were once vassal states of Redania, even though they basically just ignored each other. So there was this king, his name is King Radovid I from, I think they said it was about like 150 years ago. Uh, he sent his brother, uh, his brother's name is Troiden, who he didn't like to be an earl in Kovir as a way to be rid of him. But years later, King Radovid III, the great-grandson of King Radovid I, wanted to go to war with Adern over a border dispute, and they requested, or he requested, that Kovir pay a tax, which would help fund the war against Adern, and then Kovir refused. And they refused because they've never been involved in one another's affairs. Redania said for many years that they were uninterested in Kovir and Povis, and Kovir never paid them tribute. They never provided any military assistance. And most importantly, I thought this one was kind of funny. Uh, they've never been invited to any celebrations. The way it was written made me laugh. Like it seemed like the biggest reason they didn't consider themselves a vassal state of Redania was because they never got invited to their parties. It's like, oh, you're not going to invite me to your parties? Well, I'm not going to give you any money. Well. Radovid was angry with this reply, and he responded to their refusal by imposing a, a retaliatory tax on Kovirian, Kovirian, Kovirian. I think it's Kovirian, <laughs> Kovirian exports and merchants. But Kovir chose not to abide by this, and there was this moment where this fight broke out in the water between like these Redanian ships and these Kovirian ships, and people died. And then. Uh, Radovid III tried to wage war against them, but Kovir had a huge army with soldiers who were very handsomely paid, and they basically whooped Redania and the Kedwani army because Kedwani helped uh, Redania in this in these aggressions. So Radovid had no choice but to suck it up and travel to Kovir and speak with the king and his wife personally to try to work something out. For years, people thought of Kovir as basically a very distant, harsh, inhospitable place. Eventually, a lot of people from all different walks of life who were fed up with some standard rule or practice in their country, they just up and moved to Kovir. Also in Kovir, they were really good at trading, so they had a booming economy with many well-off citizens, and aside from the bad weather, because it's really cold there, it was a pretty good place to live and thrive. So King Radovid shows up and realizes just how well they're doing in Kovir and realizes he's not going to get anything out of them. Well, what happened was they ended up signing a treaty known as the First Exeter Treaty that basically stated 
trade should be free, open, and respected, and Kovir is officially not a vassal state of Redania. But King Radovid, this is like the one little thing that he got out of this, he could keep the title King of Kovir and Povis, but no kings following him were going to be able to do that. All right, <laughs> now that the history section is complete, just remember the most important thing about Kovir is their neutrality. So they always have been neutral and always will be neutral when it comes to foreign relations. So back to present day, Nilfgaard hasn't exactly declared war against Redania yet, but it's obvious they will since they're attacking most of the northern countries like Ader and Rivia, Lyria, and now Temeria because they've been attacking in um, Brugge and Sodden. So it's been a while since we talked about this, but King Vizimir of Redania was assassinated the night before the, the Thanet coup, and a lot of governmental measures have been taken by a group of aristocrats, they're called the Regency Council, and they're apparently not doing a very good job. Well, Dijkstra and Philip, of course, are also taking a lot of governmental measures and decision-making. And since Dijkstra wants to protect Redania from Nilfgaard, he understands with the current military that they have, they most likely are not going to be able to do anything. And now we get to the heart of the matter. Dijkstra goes to Kovir to ask King Esterad Tyson to borrow the incredibly large sum of money that Redania needs. Well, technically, he's supposed to go there and speak with the head of um, the minister or something of foreign affairs. I think that's what his title was. But he surprisingly meets with the king. It's not really that important of a detail, but it is what the original intention was or what he thought was going to happen. Well, he meets with the king. He tells him how much money he needs. But before the king answers, he shows him a magic map originally concealed behind the portrait. So he taps a few buttons with a wand and the relief map zooms in, zooms into the Pontar Valley, which is basically like the area surrounding Redania, or it's basically like all the northern countries. It shows Nilfgaard and Redania, and it does a good job of demonstrating how hopeless Redania will be when Nilfgaard begins aggressions against them. So Nilfgaard has a whole plan of how they're going to successfully attack the main country part of Temeria. Like right now, like I said, it's just Brugge and Sabin, but they are going to go after the main section of uh, Temeria. And then they're also going to attack a part of Cadwin. And I don't know if you remember this, it was kind of a brief detail from a while ago, but they basically had an agreement with Cadwin, Nilfgaard did, when they were dividing up the spoils in Adern after Nilfgaard like, destroyed Adern. And then they're going to, with these attacks, they're going to leave Redania completely exposed and vulnerable. But even though he explains this to Dijkstra, the king, King Esterad, explains this to Dijkstra, he tells him that because of Kovir's neutrality and this, this peace agreement that they have with Nilfgaard, they have a peace agreement with many countries, uh, he's not going to loan Redania the money they need. But later that night... Esterad has explained to his wife that it would be in Kovir's best interest if Tamaria and Redania are able to hold back or push Nilfgaard back when they try to advance. So with the assistance of his wife, he comes up with a plan to get Redania what they need to expand their army enough to beat Nilfgaard. And this is what that plan is. Uh, one thing he does, and not just the plan, this is what he actually does. So he does take this action within the chapter. Uh, the one thing that he does is he frees 3,000 prisoners and he sends them to fight for Redania. 
as far as the money goes, he basically made it so that the hierarch of the free city of Novigrad supplied the loan. So Esther had obtained the Novigradian money from shares in the maritime trade companies being set up. To be honest, I don't really understand this, but oh well, it's not really that important to understand the nitty gritty. I think if it was, it would have been explained a little bit better. But the really interesting thing about this is that those companies were set up with the active participation from Nilfgaardian merchants. So indirectly, Nilfgaard funded the Redanian army that was created to fight Nilfgaard. And I think that's kind of funny because I'm not really supportive of Nilfgaard when it comes to the war. Uh, I don't know how we're meant to feel. I think maybe we're supposed to think of Nilfgaard as an enemy when it, at least when it comes to them waging war against the North, I just think of them as, well, I think of Emperor Amir as a bad guy because if he just minded his own business and left these countries alone, all these innocent people who are getting murdered and suffering and getting disease and uh, starving, th their lives would be normal right now. Like they. They don't deserve that, and they're the ones that suffer the worst, and I've talked about that before, so I won't beat a dead horse, but uh, I think that, <laughs> anyway, uh, that was kind of a long way to get to my point, is that that's why I think that it's funny that Nilfgaard doesn't even realize that they're helping to fund an army that's going to fight them. <laughs> so I recently, another thing I recently discussed, I recently discussed how even though they've already done a lot of damage to northern countries, there's a good possibility that Nilfgaard could lose the second war against the North. And it seems like that likelihood has increased since then with, with the things that we learn in this chapter. So now that Rudania has the means to equip itself with a sufficient army, Nilfgaard could very well lose. And if the Northerners win, it'll be in large part due to Dijkstra's efforts and King Esterad Tyson. It's funny because Dijkstra's a spy. You don't think of a spy as being somebody, and I understand why he is the one that they go to for this, or maybe not they go to, or why he is taking these matters into his own hands, why he is trying to be responsible for this here. But traditionally, a spy wouldn't be the person to save a country and like supply a military with, you, you know what I mean? It's just, it's not really something that you would think his would be involved in his role. But that's what it is. So if they win, then a lot of people can thank Dijkstra. I don't know if they will. I don't know how public it will be that he was the one that got this figured out. And that was another thing that wasn't really left too clear was, and I'm wondering about it, and it's probably not really that important, but I'm just curious if there is a possibility or a likelihood that people are going to find out that Esterad Tyson, the king of Kovir, helped Redania fight Nilfgaard. Because if that happened, then people would no longer see Kovir as being neutral. They would probably officially be seen as having broken this treaty that they have with Nilfgaard. So even though, yeah, they, I, I guess the point of Esterad having Novigrad basically like get the money from Novigrad in the weird way that they did is how they can officially avoid those accusations. But I mean, if people figured out that he did it the way that he did, then could he avoid that? I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, not, not important, but 
I'm sure you guys know by now, but sometimes I like to go off on these little tangents. All right, so moving on. There's a scene that occurs after the bulk of Dijkstra and Esterad's conversation where the king and queen are in their bedchamber discussing things. One of the things they discuss is how Esterad has been having dreams about his mother showing him Siri and telling him she's found him a wife for his son Tancred. Tancred, we learn at this current time, would make a very bad king. We don't receive a lot of details, but we're meant to understand that he's more interested in basically having fun and doing inappropriate things than being responsible. Well, later in the chapter, Esterad's wife, Zulika, is meeting with Shayla de Tankerville. Here, we learn that Shayla has been using magic to send Esterad those dreams, and that somehow, although it's not explained how, she is setting Tancred on the right path to maturity and someday make a good king. So they're working together, Shayla and Zulika, to make Ciri and Tancred become married like Philippa planned. Then Shayla uses a megascope to meet with Philippa and tells her their plan is on track, like the plan with the lodge. Well, in another part of the chapter, we learn more specifics about Emperor Amir's plans to attack the remaining northern countries from Cantarella as she's delivering the updates to the Nilfgaardian sorceress Asirai Varanahed. I basically covered what we learn here, except for that Asirai also meets with Philippa via Megascope and shares with her the news that she learned from Cantarella. So it seems like Asirai and Sheila are still faithful to the lodge and Philippa, and they're still interested in helping carry out her plan. So if anybody is thinking about betraying the Lodge or isn't interested in their mission or anything like that, it's definitely not Shayla or uh, Asire. But it's pretty interesting that Zulika was going behind her husband's back and working with Shayla and having uh, Shayla send these dreams to him, basically manipulating him even though they're supposed to have this very happy marriage. It's talked about a little bit here and there throughout the chapter about how they have this really special marriage and Estered really loves her and he's never betrayed her, even though Dijkstra has sent women his way to try and get him to become unfaithful and never worked. But yeah, she's doing some sneaky stuff behind his back. Well, anyway, during Dijkstra and Estered's final meeting, Dijkstra actually talks about how Yennefer is dead. Still don't think she is, but this news has unsurprisingly made its way around. Um, especially unsurprising that it made its way to Dijkstra, whose number one priority is to know things. Then Esterad tells Dijkstra that Yennefer isn't a traitor who was working with Vilgefortz and that he can provide proof. Dijkstra says he doesn't want the proof, at least not at the moment, but possibly will in the future since she's currently better to him as a traitor. I cannot think of any possible ways that the King of Kovir would have proof of Yennefer's innocence. Like, I, I got nothing. I really don't know what, like, I don't know how he could have obtained proof. I also don't know what the proof could be, but it's just what it is right now, I guess. I'm also not sure why she's better to Dijkstra with a traitor's reputation, but I'm not surprised by this. He needs people to perceive things a certain way, whether they're true or not, so that he can do his job in a way that works best for him. So that's just, it's not that surprising, but it was pretty shocking that Esterad Tyson, the King of Kovir, would have proof that Yennefer is innocent. I would like to know what that is. Not that big of a deal, I'm sure. Maybe it is. 
some things seem unimportant in these books and then way later on they come back and we realize that they were pretty important well at the end of the chapter we learn from Esther's grandson as he's telling somebody 85 years from now that Esther ended up getting assassinated in the future from this chapter. Like, I don't, we don't know exactly when, but some point after the things in this chapter take place. So we then transition to this news right after Esterad was telling Dijkstra that someone will try to assassinate the spy because of all the murders and torture he's ordered for Redania. Dijkstra confidently says they'll never get him. But right before we find out about how Esterad was killed, it's said that Dijkstra recalled that conversation with Kovir's king when the assassins surrounded him. It never said that they did in fact get him. I don't know how he could have escaped if he was surrounded, but I think he did somehow. Otherwise, wouldn't they have just come right out and said that Dijkstra got killed? But I don't know. I, 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 I want to think that he didn't, but I, I keep going back and forth in my head thinking, well, maybe it's written that way to get you to think he didn't, or maybe it's written that way to get you to think that he didn't when he, like, he really did. <laughs> well, it, just because it explains that Esterad's assassins got him. They were successful. They killed him, but it doesn't clarify one way or the other with Dijkstra's. And I don't know. It, it could be that they did, and it was just left unclear since we know Dijkstra better and have known him for longer so it kind of draws us in more to just leave it on a cliffhanger like that I don't know if this is a, an answer that we'll ever get it might have just been said to make us think like oh my goodness Dijkstra might be assassinated someday and it's even more interesting since he was so confident that he never would be assassinated but as of right now we don't know well that was actually the end of the discussion um, so I have my closing thoughts and my looking ahead, but, uh, know, this is definitely the most harsh I'm going to be towards a chapter in my closing thoughts. A lot of what we learned here that is integral to the story or important to know for future plot points could have probably been reduced to a footnote. <laughs> like it's just, I don't know. The chapter wasn't bad, but it was incredibly boring to me. And I would have much rather been reading about Geralt and the company or Ciri, especially since we still don't know what happened to her after the fighting pit scene in chapter four, half a book ago. If I sound too harsh, I don't mean to. I didn't hate the chapter. And it doesn't change my opinion on the book series as a whole. I was just bored with it and thought my experience reading these books would not have been changed had this chapter been omitted. But I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know, I hate complaining. And I would not be talking crap on something if I wasn't providing a review on it in the first place. And I'm gonna be honest, I'm not gonna make a whole recording reviewing a chapter of a book and then just give a fake opinion about it so that I don't complain. But yeah, that, I feel like that's why I'm explaining myself so much because I hate complaining. But like I said, I, at the beginning of the episode, I think a lot of other readers would agree with me on this. And if you don't, that's totally fine. I don't judge you or anything. And I apologize for bashing on something that you like if you do like it. But, and I didn't, it's not like I was pulling my hair out the whole time reading this. It's just, 
Yeah. I just think if, if it was left out, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. They could have taken some of those important details and yeah, just thrown them in there in some other chapter somehow. I'm sure there's a way that that could have been worked in and we could have left out a lot of the bulk of this stuff. But with that said, there were some things I found interesting and entertaining. It wasn't completely a bore. Like I, I liked the character of Esther Ed Tyson. I thought he was pretty, he was interesting. I thought that he was, it was, he, I felt like I was enjoying myself a little bit more when he was speaking. Um, but there's also some other little things like Lan Exeter, Covier's capital city was built on the water and it has canals instead of streets and transportation is done by boat. thought that was a cool detail. I'm trying to imagine a city um, built that way, it seems, well, I don't think I'd want to live there. I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't want to have to get on a boat every time I had to go somewhere, especially in a time like this where there's no cars, because I guess you could kind of like compare it to a car now and think, well, I mean, it might not be that much more different from getting into a car. Well, I guess the boats were not motorized back then either. So a car is probably easier, but I mean, back then, or back then it's an imaginary world in this world, they have horses. I think it would probably be easier to get on a horse and travel down the street to the market than getting on a boat just seems like a little bit of overkill, but still interesting that that's how the city's built. Uh, something else, Steekstra's leg, it's talked about in this chapter, it's still giving him problems after Geralt broke his ankle on Thaned, and he's quietly, like to himself, or I guess in his head, uh, wishing that the injuries Geralt received on that same day <laughs> give him similar long-term problems. Like he's hoping that it's hurting Geralt just as badly or worse, more severely, I think he says. And uh, if only he knew because his wish is definitely granted. Geralt talks about that a lot. And I think I leave that out in my discussions for the most part. It's come up a lot in the chapters. And I think that's why I guess I don't really include it as part of the discussion because it's just like a reoccurring, like small note. But yeah, Geralt talks about that a lot or thinks about it a lot, like how his leg is causing him a lot of pain. Poor Geralt, but I mean, there you go, Dijkstra. <laughs> you got your wish. He is definitely suffering right there with you. And, uh, okay, so the last thing that I thought was kind of interesting, Estrad at one point quotes the hermit who Siri's staying with by Zagoda. It was a long quote. I didn't include it here, but he even recommends to Dijkstra that he should read one of Vaisagoda's books if they haven't all been burned in Redania, um, since Vaisagoda was originally a professor in Oxenford, which is located in Redania. Just another subtle like, minor character mention, and I've talked about this before, how um, Subkowski occasionally, like very briefly, throws in mentions of characters that we've met or heard of before in such a subtle way. It's kind of easy to miss, so I'm always kind of like, you know, a little bit excited when I see it. All right, looking ahead, we may or may not hear about Dijkstra's assassination in the future. I'm not too concerned about that, but yeah, it's a possibility. If it happens, if we find out about it, then we were warned in this chapter. Uh, Yennefer's name may also be cleared since someone as important as King Esther out of the King of Kovir has proof that she's innocent. Hopefully her name is cleared of being dead. <laughs> and hopefully that's soon. Uh, and Nilfgaard. 
very well may lose the war against the Northern Kingdoms. Of course, that remains to be seen, but they now do not have as much of an advantage as they previously did. So we might see Nilfgaard lose this war, but we'll have to wait and see. I think I say those words. We'll have to wait and see. I think I say that in every episode. I'm always looking ahead. This section, this new looking ahead section was perfect because I'm always looking ahead to upcoming chapters. And speaking of which, I hope that this chapter, this discussion here was more entertaining than the uh, chapter itself. I don't know that it was. I'm sorry, I tried, but <laughs> it's just so boring. I can assure you though that the next chapter is so much better. It's like not only better than this one, it's better than a lot of chapters. Like it's, it's a really good chapter in my opinion. But I think that that would be the opinion of a lot of other people. I've got to stop saying that. I've got to stop speaking for others. <laughs> I think a lot of people would at least agree that it's better than this one. But yeah, we should have a more entertaining episode next time. Well, on that note, just in case you didn't know, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, especially this episode. Thank you so much for joining. And I'll catch you all in the next one.